Um, we all enter into a new year um, seeking something new. Uh, we, we long for that. We desperately want that. I think it's why people make resolutions um, most of the time half-hearted. Uh, but because we want to either be better, we want to do better, uh, we want to add something to our life, or maybe we want to take something out of our life. Uh, but we all love the new year because we crave something new. We long for something new, something fresh, something more. And, uh, and really, just to be honest, who can blame us this year, right? After the dumpster fire that 2020 has been, right? There is... We long for something new. Amen? Anybody there? Yeah. All right. Good. Me too. But so many of us want something new in 2021. So I want us to look at a passage of Scripture uh, today in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. And I want us to think about adding something to our life. Think about that something new in our life. What would be best for us? What would be the best thing that we could add to our life or take away from our life this year? Because so many of us want that. So many of us want something fresh and new. And, 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 and I think the, the real root of that is we sense that the world is broken. Our world, our relationships, our society, our nation, whatever. And we want something to be fixed. And it may be more personal But I think what Paul is going to say today is this, that all the other stuff we try to add to our lives, all the other stuff we try to do, take away, is useless. It's worthless. And the one thing he's going to say that is new, and it's not even new for most of us, but it is new for these people, is to know Christ. That's it. He says everything else is useless. The one thing I strive for is to know Christ. Christ and the power of his resurrection. And so what is best for us this year, uh, last year, next year, every year, every week, every month, is not to add something to it, but is to simply know Christ. And so let me read Philippians 3, 1 through 11, and then I'll pray, and then we'll talk about it. He says this, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. It says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let me pray. God, well, I need you. We need you. God, help us to understand this. God, help it to make sense. God, help it to mean something in our life today. God, you didn't just have Paul write this to the church in Philippi. God, it also speaks to us today. And so I, I pray that as we step into a new year with lots of hopes and lots of longing for something new, I pray that um, we would step into knowing you more than anything else. God, may we not seek um, what can't be found in other things, God. May we find that only in you, God. So we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, let's start back in verse 1. Um, that clock is wrong, isn't it? Yeah, I'm going to pull out my phone so I don't... I'm trying to get us out early so I get bonus points. Um, verse 1. He says, finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. He says, rejoice in the Lord. This is kind of the umbrella statement for the rest of what he's going to say in this section right here. Rejoice in the Lord. I don't know anybody else that uses the term rejoice. Uh, we use it maybe when people celebrate championships. They were rejoicing on the field maybe. But this is really a Christian term, rejoice. Uh, the word means, uh, it has the same root as the word we get grace from, grace. Rejoice and grace, and those may not connect in your head right away, but it means to be glad, to rejoice, to have happiness for grace. It means to experience God's grace, to be glad for grace, maybe is the best way to say it. So to rejoice is not just this, this kind of like fleeting little happiness in circumstances. To rejoice is to be glad because of the grace that we've received. That's what he's saying. He's saying it's not, it's not your circumstances, it, it's, it's deep gladness, it's deep contentment, it's deep joy for the grace that's been given to us. And he says to seek, uh, to, to rejoice in the Lord. He says to find gladness for grace in the Lord. We're not just to rejoice at our circumstances. Um, 2020, if nothing else, has taught us that, Right? There's not a whole lot of rejoicing in our circumstances in a year like this past year. There's not a whole lot of rejoicing in our circumstances. But there is a whole lot of rejoicing in the Lord. He says that we are to find our joy, our gladness, our comfort, our happiness, our purpose. And here's the deal. We are so tempted to look for gladness and happiness in our circumstances. We're so tempted to look for it in $2,000 stimulus checks. We're so tempted to look for it in $600 stimulus checks. We're so, we, we look for gladness and joy in favorable national voting results. We look for it in vaccines. We look for it in, in safety and in prosperity. And we look for it in personal success and career achievements. We look for gladness and joy and happiness in, in relationships. We look for it in religious places. We look for it in our good lives, in our resumes, in our checklist before God. And what Paul is saying here is this. Don't miss it. Don't. You can't find it there. Rejoice in the Lord. Don't rejoice in stimulus checks. Don't rejoice in those things. Be happy. 
But it'll change. The vote will change. Everything will change. The only thing that is consistent is the Lord. We are to be glad in the Lord. And so the first point of application for us today, just before we move on, and this is the overarching thing, what are you seeking your gladness in this year? Is it in achieving a certain level in your career? Is it in relationships? Is it in your bank account? Is it in other people? Is it in achieving spiritual things, right? What are you seeking your joy in? What are you seeking your gladness in? Because Paul tells us right up front, rejoice in the Lord. And he's going he's gonna to give us a real clear example of ways that people seek after this in other places. Look at verse 2. It may not make sense at first, but we'll explain it. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So Paul is the one writing this. He's writing it to the church in Philippi, the Philippians. And he's writing to warn them of a group of people. And he calls them dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh, right? And this is not like friendly dog, like, hey, what's up, dog, right? Or, hey, you want to go to the movies, dog? Right? That, Dylan, that's not it. This is, a, this is a derogatory term. This is not a friendly dog. This is an angry dog. And Paul is warning them against this group of people. And the reason he's warning them is because they are trying to mislead Christians. They're trying to... Um, promote a theology, a, a belief about God that is totally false. That's, that's just like seeking to rejoice in circumstances. He's saying, watch out for these people, the dogs. He calls them dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the f- flesh. Dogs was a term that the Jews used to talk about the Gentiles. The Jews were God's people in the Old Testament, and they talked about anybody who was outside of the Jews, outside of their family as dogs. Not a good term. Okay, now the people that he's warning of uh, of them, warning them of, uh, he calls them dogs because they're Jews and they're calling him dogs. So he said, "I'll call you a dog, right?" It's just a whole dog little thing going on here, right? They're just calling each other names. He says, "Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evil doers." The people that he's warning of, we call them the Judaizers. Probably never thought about that word, Judaizers, and the reason. Uh, they're called Judaizers is because they wanted and they believed that you had to become a Jew in order to become a Christian, which meant you had to follow all the ceremonial laws, you had to do all the religious exercise of the Jews in order to become a Christian. So basically what they're saying is you have to be circumcised, you have to sacrifice, you have to do this in the temple, you have to do all these things. Yeah, there's Jesus, he died for us and all that, but you still have to follow all these laws. This is who Paul is warning them against, the Judaizers. They believe that you have to do all these things plus Jesus equals being a Christian, right? And do you already see what's wrong with that? Do you already sense why Paul is so upset? To, to say that is to say that Jesus' death on the cross meant nothing, right? He didn't, he didn't die in our place to take our, take our sin and, and free us from the bondage. No, he, he's just kind of a little add-on to the Judaizers, right? So he, he makes fun of them. 
He says that they're just mutilating the flesh. They're not doing anything of spiritual value. I'm not going to give a lesson on circumcision, Gary. I know you asked, but I'm not going to. And uh, we're not going to. But this, this term is a picture of what it means to be saved. Okay? It's a picture of, of, the, of that process. Right? And so he says what they're doing is just physical. It's just an outward religious practice. He says real salvation, real relationship with God is this. And he contrasts it and he says three things in verse uh, 3 about what real true Christianity is, about what real salvation is. He says, one, that we worship by the Spirit. He says, two, we glory in Christ Jesus. And three, we put no confidence in the flesh. We worship by the Spirit. We don't worship by these outward religious practices, following all the rules, burning all the right things and going into the right days, celebrating the right feast, being in the right place at the right time. He says, no, we worship by the Spirit. God has literally filled our lives with himself, and it overflows in worship. He says, we glory in Christ Jesus. They're putting down Christ Jesus and what he had done on the cross. They're saying, no, what's more important is following all these rules. And he's saying, no, we glory in Christ. We don't glory in ourselves. We glory in Christ and what he's done, not what we've done. He says, we put no confidence in our flesh. They're putting tons of confidence in their flesh, their religious acts, how many times they go to the temple, what they give, all these things. He says, our confidence as Christians, as those who are truly saved, is not in ourselves. It's not in our flesh. It's fully in Christ Jesus because he has filled us with himself. Do you see that? He says the Judaizers have totally missed the point, and he's warning them of it. Now, for us, we don't necessarily have Judaizers. Anybody know a Judaizer? Didn't think so. All right. We don't necessarily have these people. I've met a guy in Midland one time, but that's a different story. And um, we do have all kinds of people that promote or believe this, a Jesus plus blank equals salvation. Jesus plus blank equals salvation. This is what a lot of people believe or promote, a Jesus plus blank theology. People think that, yeah, Jesus is good, let's take him, but let's add something to it. You've got to have that in order to get salvation, right? They think that they'll find joy and salvation and purpose and contentment in all these things. And this kind of thinking, your promise, if you just do this, then you'll be satisfied. If you just do this religious practice or thing, then you'll be complete. Then you'll be fixed. Then you'll be saved. Now, here's just a few examples um, that I could come up with. The health and wealth and prosperity gospel says this, that, yeah, Jesus is good, but you got to have extra special faith. And if you don't have health and wealth and your bank account's not overflowing and you're not sick, and then you don't really have salvation. Right? They add something to Jesus that is nowhere to be found in Scripture. We just read it, that Paul's desire is to share in the sufferings of Christ. That is the opposite of health and wealth. Right? You see this? Jesus plus blank equals salvation. We have brothers and sisters, friends, that are Pentecostal, that say that you have to have Jesus plus you have to speak in tongues or have a certain spiritual experience in order to be saved. And if you don't do X thing, whatever you fill in that blank with, whether it's speaking in tongues or more faith or whatever, then you're not really saved. You're not really a true Christian. 
That's no different than these Judaizers saying, yeah, Jesus but circumcision. Jesus but sacrificial system. Do you see how messed up that is? We have people that say you got to have Jesus plus some extra spiritual experience, like a meditation or some emotional experience. And if you don't have that, then you don't have salvation. Some people believe that you got to have Jesus plus certain spiritual disciplines or, or, or living perfectly, never sinning. You got to have Jesus plus you got to follow all these, these new rules of whatever church you're going to. You got to have Jesus plus not have any notorious public sins. But if you have those, you don't have salvation, right? This line of thinking, Jesus plus blank equals salvation, is so wretched. Is so against what God's word has to say. And that is what Paul is warning them. See, people, we want to lean on something. We want to lean, we want to put our confidence in something. And we're prone to put it in speaking in tongues or more faith or an emotional experience or whatever you fill in that blank with. And what he's warning them is you don't need any of that. See, because Jesus plus anything equals nothing. And Jesus plus Nothing equals everything. Jesus plus anything else, adding to it, anything that you lean on does not equal salvation. It equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's what Paul is trying to say. And he is, there is some anger in his words because he has come out of this. He has leaned on his religious experience. He's leaned on his good deeds. He's leaned on his perfection and he sees how broken it is. He sees that it never could satisfy him. It never could save him. And so what Paul is going to do is he's going to promote this, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's Christ alone, just like we sang this morning. Look at verse 4. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul's pointing out that uh, if you're going to ask anybody who, who is right, who is perfect, who is good, Paul is the epitome. He is the example. And he is the man as far as religious superiority goes. And he, he lays out his resume or his accomplishments. And he's almost like he makes like a pro-con list or a, a positive-negative list. And so he, he starts on the positive side. And he says, you know, here, here's the good things about me. I was circumcised on the eighth day. You might not put that on your list. I don't know. But to him, to the Jews, that was a big deal. He puts that on there, check. I'm an Israelite. I'm, I'm culturally, ethnically of the people of God, check. That's something in my bank account. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Check. I know who my ancestors are. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. It's like senior superlatives, right? It's like, I, I got that when I graduated. The, according, under the law, I'm a Pharisee. I'm the strictest of the strict. I follow the rules down to the little bitty T's, and I add stuff to it to make sure that I don't break the rules. Zeal, passion, he says, I'm a, I persecuted the church. I was actively against those who opposed Judaism. Righteousness under the law, I'm blameless. You see, he's listing his resume, his religious, moral resume. He had everything. 
He had all the credentials. Ethnically, morally, religiously, he had all the traits that you could possess. He spoke the language. He knew all the things. He was disciplined. He was passionate. He had it all. He had it all in terms of worldly righteousness. And what does he put over here on the negative side? What does he say? He says, I was blameless. It's not really true. But in, in his eyes, under the law, under the Jewish law, he was blameless. So if anybody in the whole world can speak to, I can earn my way to God, Paul is the example. If anybody could do it, Paul could, by worldly standards. And so what he, when he says this today, when he says, if anybody has a resume, if anybody can list off why they deserve a relationship with God, it's me. He had achieved everything religiously he could. And he gets to the end, and what does he say? It's rubbish. It's not worth it. It means nothing. He had missed the mark. He said, this is not the way to God. It's not, it's not rules. It's not religion. It's not earning it. It's not a resume. He says, none of that mattered. And before we go on to what matters, I don't know that we're that different. We are prone to wonder, just like we think. We are prone to keep a checklist of, of what justifies us before God, of, of why we are good or why we are right with God. And our list has nothing to do with circumcision or what tribe of Israel we're from, right? Our list has to do with church attendance or giving or serving or not being a part of a certain lifestyle or not being a, having a certain sin or whatever, right? We keep all this list. And we're prone to lean on that. Jesus plus my good works. Jesus plus my lack of whatever sin. The true Christian doesn't. The true Christian knows all of that is filthy rags. It's nothing. The true Christian knows that the only hope we have in life or death is the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. They have no confidence in flesh, only in Jesus. They only glory in Christ, not in what they have done. See, the true Christian knows Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And Jesus plus anything else equals nothing. Look at verse 7. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He says the gain that he had in the flesh, all of these religious accomplishments, all of his, his life and his power and his prestige, all of his good works, all of his credentials, all of his pride, he says that was a loss. I thought it was a positive. I thought it was a gain. He says that was worthless. He could never make himself right with God, no matter how much he tried. And he, of all people, should have known. He could never save himself. He could never fix himself by himself, by adding something to his life besides Jesus. And he says that he counts everything in his life before Christ as a loss. The only thing he considered uh, to be worthless before Christ was Christ dying on the cross. That's why he persecuted it. And the beauty of when God came in and changed Paul's life, the only thing that mattered to him was the one thing he thought was worthless. Jesus, the Messiah, dying on the cross. And Paul says that he 
realizes that the only thing worth his life and his effort is what? Knowing Christ. In order that I may gain Christ. In order that I may know Christ. He says all that other religious stuff, it doesn't matter. All the other good deeds, all the other uh, following the rules and keeping the, it doesn't matter. The only thing I want is to know Christ. All that other stuff is a loss. The only thing that's worth life and effort is Jesus. It's not Jesus plus good works. It's not Jesus plus uh, discipline. It's not Jesus plus resolutions. It's not Jesus plus a better attitude or Jesus plus money. He says none of that works. It's not Jesus plus anything. That leads you to nothing. He says what matters is Jesus plus nothing. The only thing that matters is knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says that all those other things are rubbish. Uh, I lived in England for a few months of my life, and this was, they love this word, rubbish. Uh, we don't really use it here. But it means trash uh, or garbage in our modern day. This word in Greek means dung. <laughs> There's no other way to say it. It means refuse. It means dung. It, it's, the only value of it is to be thrown out. He says, all of that other stuff I ever did was trash. It was garbage. It was dung. It was worthless. And trying to put that aside, Jesus makes no sense. I didn't need all that other stuff. He said the only thing I needed, the only thing was knowing Christ. So my question today, before we look at the last verses, is what do we try to fill in that blank with? Jesus plus what? What are you relying on? What are you leaning on? What do, you, what do you think is the reason that God loves you? What is the reason that you, that you lean in on and say, yeah, but, but I do this, or I go to there, or I do this, right? If it's anything besides just Jesus, then you're no different than the Judaizers. You're not trusting in Christ alone for salvation. The true Christian doesn't glory in themselves and what they've done. They know they have no hope besides trusting in Jesus, besides faith in him. And here's, here's how he says that. Look at verse 9. Verse 9, he just finished. He said, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resin, resurrection from the dead. Paul says he wants to be found in Christ, found in him. He doesn't want to be found in his good works, in his pedigree, in his resume. I want to the way we can do that is if we get a righteousness from God. He says uh, we get a righteousness that comes not from the law, but comes through faith in Christ. See, this is the gospel, and this is what had happened in his life. This is the good news of God's salvation in our lives. The gospel is this, is this great exchange. That, that God created us to be in relationship with him. But we chose our own way, like wayward sheep. We chose our own way thinking we knew what was best. The Bible calls that sin. And any rejection of God is, is a rejection of the greatest being in, in, in the whole world. And so the rightful punishment of, of rebellion against God is death. All of us have chosen that. 
We've chosen to go our own way. And, and we may try to earn our way back. We may try to do good deeds or follow religion or whatever. But it never works. And God knew that. And so what did God do? He knew we could never earn our way back to him. He knew that we could never have a righteousness that was our own. We could never be made right with him. So he sent Jesus Christ, his son, to live the perfect life that we couldn't, to die in our place. And this is the great exchange, that on the cross, Jesus takes our sin. He takes our death. He takes our punishment. And the righteousness and the reward that he had earned, he gives to us. He exchanges it freely with us. He takes what we deserved, and he gives us what he deserved. And the only way you and I can be made right with God is through faith, is believing that Jesus Christ died in our place to save us. Anything else you put your faith in, anything else you try to lean on, anything else you try to hope in, anything else you try to rejoice in will let you down. The only thing that will make you right with God, that will fix you, that will bring you joy is faith in Jesus. And Paul got that. And this is why he's furious with these Judaizers, because they're trying to say Jesus plus good works equals salvation. And he says, that's hogwash. That's, that's rubbish. That, that is so misleading and so dangerous. And so my hope today is that you will see that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You don't need anything else. This year, if, if you didn't do anything else, you know, work on anything else. Work on knowing Christ. Work on knowing him and the power of his resurrection, becoming like him in his death, sharing in his suffering, so that by any means possible, you may attain the resurrection from the dead. Invest deeply in the gospel. Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let me pray. God, I thank you for the chance to open your word this morning, to sing, to study it with others, to hear others. God, and I pray that our souls have been encouraged. God, I thank you for those who are trusting only in Christ this morning, who fully believe that their only hope in life and in death is faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray for those who are leaning on something else. God, I pray that they would see so clearly this morning that that cannot support them, that they, they will never find joy in that. They will never find purpose. They will never find life in that. It will let them down. It cannot hold that weight. And I pray for those who don't know you, that they would put their faith in you, to trust fully in you. God, you are our only hope. You are our only chance. And so we lean fully into you this year, God. We, we want to know you. We want to know the power you have. God, we want to see dead people brought to life, the power of your resurrection. God, we want to we share in your sufferings, God, because we're unashamed of living for you. God, we want to become more like you. God, may these be our resolutions this year. May this be our aim in 2021. God, I love you, and I'm thankful for this church. I pray that you would take care of us and guide us and lead us. God, we pray all this in your son's name. Amen.